Good morning. All right, it's good to see everybody here this morning. It's my privilege uh, to bring us, by God's grace, back into the letter to the Romans. Woo! Yeah! Y'all, y'all have missed Romans a little bit, I think. Um, we've, we've covered a lot of ground in the, in the time since we've been in Romans, and so it's, it's really cool to, to get ourselves right back into it, and we come back into Romans and really a pivotal point. So uh, we've, we've gone from chapter 1 all the way through the first 11 chapters of Romans, and, and now we're, we're pretty much rounding third. Now, it's Romans, and so rounding third isn't going to mean that we're going to be done anytime soon. Um, but uh, this is the really the last major section of the letter to the Romans. And you'll notice... Even in uh, the verses that we'll look at today, which are just the first couple of verses, uh, that the tone drastically changes. Okay, so those of you who are looking for kind of the the heady, uh, uh, cerebral, uh, very very theoretical, deeply doctrinal, theological part, well, you got to go back to the, the last eleven chapters uh, because that's where Paul was really doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Now it's let's take what we've learned here and let's put it into action. Uh, Romans 12 through 16 really uh, makes up the so what part of the letter to the Romans. And my prayer is that as we walk through this together, uh, we start to see a little bit uh, of the reasons for why what we do as Christians matters. It matters. Don't check out and go, well, you know, this is what we, we went through, you know, we, we went through all the heady stuff, and this is the deeply theological stuff, and so we've got to put a lot of time and attention on this, because I've got to think, I've got to put my thinking cap on for, the, for this section. But now that we get into chapters 12 through 16, we kind of check our brains at the door, and we go, okay, you know, just be good, <laughs> right, do, do good stuff. You know, don't do stupid things, don't sin, you know, no, 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 no. Uh, we need to uh, pay just as much attention and give as much uh, time and meditation on what he says here, because what we do as Christians matters, amen? So with all that said, please turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. And when you're there, say, I'm there. All right. See, last time I preached, I got, I got, I got a little, uh, a little scolded from from Pastor Sean, and uh, when when he was like, you know, he doesn't give him any, he gives us any time, you know, to go through, you know, to actually get there and all that. Well, see, it's 2022, and I know half of y'all are on smartphones, anyways, and so it takes like 0.3 seconds for y'all to get there. No, I'm playing. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Are y'all there? Okay. Okay. Cool. 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 Romans chapter 12, beginning of verse one. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. You could also say, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual or your logical or your rational worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing or the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now let's ask that God would give us clarity and insight that we may understand what he says, not just that we may hear it, but that we may heed this great word. Let's pray. Father, we have indeed gone through much of the tough sledding here in this letter to the Romans. We agree with Paul when he said in the last section, in chapter 11, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable, how unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has given to the Lord uh, that it may be repaid to him for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. Lord, we, we've come through 11 chapters of Romans and, and we are left with our jaws on the floor just as Paul was. For you are amazing. How amazing is your grace. How astonishing is your love. Only you are a God who can save. And we give you all the glory and all the honor. But forbid it, Lord, that we would Lift our hands up in worship and praise of your great name and not move our feet in action in, uh, on the basis of what you have done for us. So Father, I pray that as we begin this section of Romans, that you would cultivate among us a culture of people who are shaped continually by the truths of this great gospel. That we would not take this and put it up on a mantle somewhere where we can just look at it and admire it and so on, but never do anything with it. But Lord, that this gospel would shape us to the point that people who, who come in contact with us, whether in our gatherings here on a day like today, or whether it be on the job, or whether it be in our living rooms, or wherever we may be, people who come in contact with us know that we have been greatly, deeply changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this would not just be our prayer, but that this would be the reality of our lives and we realize that we cannot do any of that, none of it, in our own power, in our own strength. So Holy Spirit, we pray, move among us. Cultivate this in us and through us and among us that we would be identified as those who are in Christ, those who have been saved by the power of the gospel, those who are being conformed into the image of Christ. We ask big things because you're a big God. And we know, Lord, that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So, Father, I pray that you would reign supreme even in our midst today. And I pray, Lord, that if there is any who does not believe in Christ as their Savior, that they would see the reality of a changed life and say, I didn't realize that that was true. I didn't realize that that was possible. 
And may they turn from their sin and turn wholeheartedly into, uh, uh, to Christ Jesus that they may be saved. We thank you, Lord, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm. Growing up, I was a big fan of TV dinners. Any, any TV dinner connoisseurs are, are among us here today? Yeah, like 10 of us. The, the rest of y'all got paid, I, I guess. You know, that, that's just how it goes. But, but growing up, I, I, I honestly, I felt like a grown-up. You know, I, I, would, I would make my own dinner. I would, I would go and reach into the freezer, I'd, I'd pull out one of the boxes, I, I'd punch little holes with my fork into the plastic film and pop it in the microwave, and after a few minutes of heating, followed by about a one to two minutes to let cool, um, I would eat like a hungry man. It was so, it was so cool. You know, uh, and I thought I was a big guy. I thought that I was a grown-up. I mean, it said hungry man on the, on the box, and so I just assumed that if I eat this, I'm just one step closer you know, to manhood uh, by doing this. My favorite was Salisbury steak. And, and to be very honest, I don't know for sure if it was actually meat. But uh, it, was, it was so cool. You know, I'd have my Salisbury steak and the gravy, and I'd have my mashed potatoes and the gravy on that, and I'd have my mixed veggies that I'd eat last. And then I'd have, you know, the, the, the fried apples or whatever the dessert was that was there, you know, which would be like, you know, two slices of apples. You're eating like one-third of an apple uh, in there. But, but it was just so cool having all of that. And what I loved so much, I just thought that it was so thoughtful. I thought that they were, they were just so kind and nice and, and genius for doing this is they would bring that dinner in a tray that had very clearly marked off uh, compartments, and, and that was great for me because I'm not exactly the type that likes mixing all of my stuff together, right? How, how many of y'all are like that? You know, uh, wow, the re- are you serious? All of y'all mix your food together? That's, that's, so, that's so weird. Um, but but that's not, that wasn't me. You know, I, I, I like those walls. I like those compartments, you know, and everything. I don't want my gravy from my mashed potatoes or my Salisbury steak getting into my fried apples. That's gross, you know. I, I don't want that. And so having those nice, clear compartments and everything just said, stay in your lane, know your role, don't be meddling into other stuff and everything. Just keep everything right where it belongs. And, and that's really the way that I, 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 I am. You know, I just like, you know, and Annie knows this about me very well. You know, everything has its place. Everything is right where it is. She comes into the house or she comes into our bedroom and, and she sees my shoes and she's just like, don't you want to put your shoes like somewhere else? And I'm like, no. Like, you know, this is a very big room. My shoes are right where they need to be, right? Don't, 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 don't touch my shoes, you know? Or even things, even when, uh, like, my desk in my office that may look junky to some people, but no, 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 that's not a place for a minute. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but I know exactly where everything is. Are, are y'all like that? I know exactly where everything is. Don't, don't mess with the system. This is a very, very complex system, and, and everything is exactly where it belongs. Don't be mixing and matching and all. No, no, no. It's right where it needs to be. You know, some of us look at our Christian lives in much the same way that I look at my TV dinner. And we say to the Lord, you're good, you're great, you're awesome, but stay in your place. 
I, I don't want you mixing into other aspects of my life. You can have Sunday morning from 10.30 to Lord knows whenever we get out of here, and, 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 and that's all you've got. I remember one day I was preaching, this was back down in Texas when I was an interim at a church down in Texas, and, and, and they were very clear. It was an old Baptist church that started at 11 and ended at 12. Some of y'all may, may, may be familiar with that, with that culture. Start at 11, end at 12. It doesn't matter how much you prepped in your sermon. We are out of here at 12 o'clock, sharp. And, and so there would be times where we'd be singing songs, and by the time we're done with singing songs and done with announcements and all these different things, I'm getting up at like 12, or at like 11.50. And anybody who knows anything about me knows 10 minutes is just, nah, nah, fam. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're gonna, we're, yeah, we're gonna need a little bit more than that. And so I'd get up and I would preach, and eventually there were some folks who were a little bit annoyed that I kept going beyond twelve o'clock. And there was this one older guy that came into the sanctuary. By God's grace, I had no idea. Annie told me about this after the service. She said, "Did you know about Mr. So and So?" And I was like, "What are you talking about, Mr. So and So?" He'll remain nameless. Uh, brought an alarm clock to the service. I mean, one of those wind-up alarms, and at 12 o'clock, and everything. And, and, and it was just his way of saying, you know, we get in at 11, and we are done at 12, period. And, and many of us have that idea of God, right? We, 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 God, you can have 11 o'clock till 12 o'clock. At 12.01, it's my time. Or we say, you have Sunday. Maybe you get all of Sunday. But come Monday, I'm doing my thing. Lord, you can have this little bit, but the rest of it belongs to me. Or the rest of it belongs to, it's NFL season again. The rest of it belongs to football. The rest of it belongs to whatever it may be. You know, we we have this compartmentalized understanding of life that says, God, you can have this much, but the rest of it is off limits don't be mixing your gravy into my fried apples. I believe that that is a gross misunderstanding of mercy and what it means to have received mercy. Romans 12 says right at the beginning, I appeal to you, therefore, I urge you, therefore, I plead with you, therefore, brothers. Notice, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. What what are we talking about? Well, you see, we are nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yes, we are created in the image of God. Yes, we have received, uh, by virtue of our being created in his image, Uh, an inherent and embedded dignity and worth and value such that every single human life is precious from the womb all the way to the tomb. That, that, That is the way that God has made us. Every life is valuable. Every life is precious. Every life is a gift from our great and glorious creator. But we responded to the creator who has given us every breath every heartbeat, every pulse, we then turn to him and say, no thanks, I would rather serve the creature than I would serve the creator. 
Romans 1 says that we have served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We exchanged his glory for the glory of four-footed animals. We got some folks who are pet lovers or dog lovers or animal rights folks or all of these different folks who say, we, we care more about this and, 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 and upholding the life and the value of this animal than we do giving worship and glory to God. And for you who say, well, you know, I don't have a dog and I loathe cats, you know, uh, uh, you know that, that's just not my thing or, or anything like that. You know, what, 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 is, what is the creature that you serve? What is the creature that has it? Maybe it's technology where you say, these created things have my heart. These created things have my soul. Maybe it's TV. You say, I could spend hours and hours binge watching whatever my favorite show is on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever. But, 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 but when it comes to spending time with the living God, it's like pulling teeth. You know, or, or, or maybe it's, it's just loving on people and, and showing others the love of Christ. But, but if they don't fit my mold, if they don't fit my, my, my categories of, of people who are really valuable and people who are really important, then they're dead to me. I don't care if they're created in the image of God. Whatever that is, whether it be your standard for what a real human is or, or whether it's your entertainment or your technology or whatever, we find any and every way to worship the creature rather than the creator. Romans 1 says we did not glorify him, literally, we did not glorify him or give him thanks. And God has every right to be angry for us, at us, for all of the sins and all of the ways that we have disrespected him and all of the ways that we have ignored him and all of the ways that we have spurned him when we should have been on our faces rejoicing that we are able to take even one breath. And if that were all that there was, as we saw in Romans 1, 2, and 3, not a single one of us, not a single one of us would be capable of lifting up our heads before the Almighty God. But as J.D. read in Ephesians 2, where Paul says in there famously in verse 4, but God. And in Romans 3.21, he says kind of the same thing. But now, in Christ Jesus, the, the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. Uh, even though the law and the prophets attest to it, the righteousness of God that is by faith in Christ Jesus for everyone who believes. In other words, we are unrighteous, we are sinners, we are prone to wander, we worship creatures rather than the creator who is blessed forever, and God comes uh, to us, and instead of pouring out his wrath on us, he took his son, poured out his wrath on his son, so that all that we would receive is not his wrath forever, but his forgiveness and his love and his grace forever. God looked at us, y'all better wake up this morning, God looked at us and God said, I am going to give you forgiveness, I am going to give you my son, I'm going to clothe you with his righteousness, I'm going to take away your unrighteousness, I am going to adopt you as sons and daughters in my family, I am going to gift you God 
my Holy Spirit, so that he will be with you forever, working and molding and shaping you into the image of my son. I am going to so uh, 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 repurpose your future that even the worst of suffering cannot separate you from my love. And not only that, but it is actually an instrument in the plan that I have so that when the end of days has come, you will stand with me in glory forever. That's good news. And that is good news for every single one of us. And Paul here uses the term for, to describe that, mercy. Mercy. God looks at you and he has mercy. Another word that you can use for mercy is pity. God looks at all of us and says, pitiful. Y'all pitiful, right? And, 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 but he doesn't leave us there in our pitiful state. He actually has compassion on us and has promised through Christ by means of his Holy Spirit to have pity and compassion on us forever. 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 Do I got to get Sandlot on us? Forever. All right. It will never change. This is who he is. And this is who he is for us because of Christ Jesus. So, having understood or at least gotten a little taste of mercy, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? You know, it's interesting. I, 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 I did a search. I just saw that word mercies. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I just thought, let me, let me do a little word search on mercy in the book of Romans. And as I was going through the letter to the Romans, I found that mercy, up until this point, is only found in two different places. <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I'm going through mercy and going, man, mercy must be all over Romans. No, no, it's actually only in two chapters. In chapter 9 and in chapter 11. Let, let, let's look at those real quick, because I think this is very important for us. Look at uh, chapter 9. So just flip your way back to chapter 9. I know I'm giving you all more time to go from chapter 12 to chapter 9 than I did for you to open your Bibles and get to chapter 12. I know, that's weird. But notice in chapter 9, in verse 14, notice Paul says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? In other words, is God unfair? Uh, if you remember where we are in chapter 9, is God unfair that he would, have, uh, 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 that he would uh, choose Jacob to be a part of his promise, to be the heir of the promises that he had given to Abraham, Jacob's grandfather? Is God uh, uh, unjust because he chose Jacob and did not choose Esau? Uh, he didn't choose to give his blessing to Esau, but to the younger of the twins, Jacob. And the, Lord, uh, the apostle says, no, by no means, make a noita, absolutely not. He says, for, he says to Moses... So he fast-forwards a little bit, several centuries, and he now looks at Moses, and he says, look at how God spoke to Moses. In verse 15, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So, in verse 16, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. You see that? Mercy is the prerogative of God. 
God gives mercy to whomever he wants to give mercy to. Again, if you have received mercy, it is not by your human will. It's not because you just kind of grit your teeth and bite your bottom lip and just, I'm going to get mercy. Let me, I'm just going to grind and I'm going to work and I'm going to make it all the way to That's not how mercy works. That's not how mercy works. Mercy is completely up to the prerogative of God. You have mercy because God in all of his kindness would say, I want you to have mercy. And so I'm going to show mercy to you. There we go. Look at even in verse 18, he says, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. God has mercy on whomever he wants to give mercy to. And what's amazing as we see in chapter 11, which is the other uh, place where we see uh, this, this term mercy, is that God has chosen to give his mercy of all the people on earth to Gentiles, non-Jews, people outside, people who, who don't have any, any uh, right to have any type of blessing or any type of, of kindness from God. He has chosen to give this mercy to us. Look at verse 30. He says, for just as you, we Gentiles, were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their, because of Jewish disobedience, so they too, the Jews, have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. You say, what's going on? Well, you got to go back to Romans 11 to understand the argument, but the point that he's making is this. As he looks at history, he says, the Jews rejected Messiah, and by the virtue of their rejection of Messiah, God extends mercy to Gentiles. That's all of us. None of us in this room are Jewish, to my knowledge. And, and all of us have the opportunity to receive mercy from God because of their disobedience. God said in his plan, you know what? I'm going to extend my mercy to people who have no connection biologically to Abraham and all of that. You are going to get mercy. You are going to get grace. You are going to get my salvation, and you get to enjoy it. And we all do by his mercy and by his kindness. But here's the thing. As we now receive that kindness and that mercy, God was using us, as he says in Romans 11, to make the Jewish people jealous as they're looking and going, hold up, wait a second. That's my, that, he's our God. We had him first, right? And, <laughs> and these are our blessings. We're the children of Abraham and hold up, what's happening here? And as they do, somewhere in history, they're going to, re- they're going to figure it out that these blessings that we are receiving as the church, they should be receiving as well. And so this is what God is going to use in a time, it seems, of great tribulation and so on, where they will finally turn to Christ and they will trust in him. And therefore, Jew and Gentile will be one people worshiping the Lord at the throne of Christ, the Messiah, forever. All of that, by the way, is marked by mercy. It's mercy that God would do this. It's mercy that we would be saved. It's mercy that you are no longer gripped by your sin. It's mercy that you all of a sudden have this warm affection for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's mercy that you care for the lost. It's mercy that that when you fall, you don't turn away from the Lord, but you turn toward him. It's mercy that all of that is going on in your life. You are a living, breathing testament to the mercy of God. 
I wish I could spend more time just, just delving into that phrase, by the mercies of God. But we got to get to action because that's what Paul wants you to do. He, he wants you to do something with this. Okay? So having received this mercy, by the mercies of God or because of the mercies of God or on the basis of the mercies of God, what do we do? Well, he gives us here two commands that really set up the rest of the letter. All the practical exhortations, all the instructions that he's going to give us for the rest of this letter of how we're supposed to live our lives as Christians hang on the two commands that we have in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. And I'm just going to lay them out here for you. First, he calls us to present our bodies for God's worship. That's what we're going to see in verse 1. And then secondly... We pattern our lives for God's will. We we present our bodies for God's worship, and we pattern our lives for God's will, or after God's will, okay? Are y'all still with me? Are we good? All right. So what does this look like? Look at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Holy and acceptable to God, which is your, and this is a difficult word, spiritual worship or logical worship. We'll talk about that when we get there, okay? We are to present our bodies for God's worship. This, is, this carries with it the concept of what we call consecration. Consecration. Uh, you say, I don't, I don't know what that means. I, that, that, that's a big word. What, what, what is consecration? Uh, well, think about when you go to the bowling alley. Yes, yes, consecration reminds me of the bowling alley. Um, <laughs> you, you go into the bowling alley, you walk in, and, uh, and, and it's like you're walking into a, to a holy temple. You walk in, and they've got, you know, you can bring your own ball and so on, but they've got, you know, they've got bowling balls right there, you know, polished and everything waiting for you. And there's one rule, really, you know, just one rule outside of, you know, don't, don't run onto the lane because, or if you do, just make sure we're recording because um, <laughs> it's always fun. Um, but, but when you walk in, you have to go to the counter. You say, you know, how many people are in your party, how many, you know, games you want to play and so on. They assign a lane for you. And then what do they do? They ask for your shoes. Yeah. I've got to take off my shoes, and I've got to put on these special shoes, these bowling ball shoes. Why? Well, because of the oils that they have on the floor and all of that, and because they believe that they've got better fashion sense than any of us do, um, they, 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 they have these special shoes that are made specifically for the bowling alley. Your shoes won't cut it, Okay. These shoes are made for outside the bowling alley. So I've got to take these shoes off, and I've got to put on the special bowling shoes because the bowling shoes have been consecrated for the bowling alley. Y'all get what's going on? These bowling shoes are made specifically for this particular place and this particular action. And so those bowling shoes are consecrated for the bowling, uh, for bowling and for the bowling alley. Well, it's the same thing with our lives. 
I, I, I live life every day. Uh, and, and, and he's not saying here to stop living. He's not saying stop doing what you're doing. I don't cease to be a husband. I don't cease to be a dad. I don't cease to be a professor. I don't cease to be an elder. I don't cease to be a son or anything like that. What he's saying, though, is when you come to faith in Jesus, having received the saving mercies of God, now I am consecrated. I, my life is now dedicated to a particular way of living, a particular God, a particular uh, uh, focus. I, I'm on mission now. I, I, don't, I don't have the same purpose that I did before. I used to work just to get paid. I used to work for the weekends, you know, and all of that. That's not how I do it anymore. I used to work for retirement and, and used to work to make sure the kids have enough to get them through college and all of that. All of those things are great, but that's not the reason that I do what I do. I do what I do now because I have been consecrated for God and for his glory and for his service. And so I live my life Monday through Friday doing my work through the job so that he would be praised in all that I say and all that I do. Y'all get what I'm saying here? Consecration means that I am now no longer a part of this group that we're going to talk about in verse 2, this world system, this age. I don't live uh, as, as a part of this anymore. I got to live in it because, you know, I'm kind of bound to earth and, 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 and you know, I got to live in this world. But, but I don't live as if I am of this world. I'm not of this world anymore. I have been set apart and dedicated for a new purpose, a new God. I have been consecrated. And that's what he's saying here. He says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So what does that mean? Well, that means that we, we've, uh, as, we, as we are here for the worship of God, as we are dedicated for him and to make much of him in our lives, well, the first thing that he says here is that we need to do so uh, physically. As you notice, it says there that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Why doesn't he say present your lives as a living sacrifice? Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Why, why present your bodies as a living sacrifice? And I think the answer is actually a lot simpler than, than you, may, you may think on the outset. Um, because you live in a body. <laughs> Everything we do, we do in our bodies, right? Everything you do, you do as an embodied creature. This may shock you, but think of anywhere that you have gone in your lifetime outside of your body. Don't mention drugs. Think of anything that you have done outside of your body. I can't think of anything. You know, we talk about having outer body experiences and all of that. We don't. You know, we're in a body. We live in here. Now, if you could rewind back a little bit to Romans chapter 6, uh, beginning in, uh, in chapter 6 and really going all the way through to chapter 8, Paul is developing this current understanding of our bodies. You see, outside of Christ, our bodies have really one job and one job only, sin. That's what we do. That's how we use our bodies, right? So I don't like this person. I take my body, this little hand here, I clench it up in a fist, and I clock the guy, right? That's how I use my body. 
You know, I, I use my body, you know, uh, uh, as a lazy, you know, bum. Uh, I hear the alarm clock. I swat it, toss it outside the window and everything, and I get another hour of sleep. That's how I roll in my body, all right? Uh, you know, maybe some of you may have past uh, or maybe even presence, uh, hopefully not, but, but where you have been very sexually active and, and you use your bodies, you know, uh, uh, for that kind of pleasure, for sexual pleasure and gratification and, and, and all of that. That's you in your body. And Paul says in chapter 6 that something really important happened when you came to faith in Jesus. You came to faith in Jesus and you're you, you uh, were, were joined in a very real sense to Christ. It's a theo- uh, the theological doctrine known as our union with Christ. And when you were joined to Christ, his experience became your experience. So Jesus died on the cross. And because you're joined to Christ, when he died on the cross, you died on the cross with him. Jesus was buried. And when you, uh, when he was buried, you being united to Christ, you were buried with him as well. Jesus rose from the dead. And because you're united with Christ, when he rose from the dead, you rose from the dead. But here's the thing. All of that happened in, if you will, in a spiritual sense. I was not around in the, in the, uh, in the 30s, in, the, in like the, the actual 30s, not the 1930s, but like the 3030s, right? I wasn't there when Jesus was alive. I wasn't there when Jesus was on a cross. I wasn't there hearing the shouts of crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I didn't show up until 1950 years later, okay? Uh, so I, I wasn't there, and yet, in a very real sense, I was there. Because his identity has now become my identity, you see? And I have, been, I have been swallowed up into the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But what does that mean for me here in the 2000s? What does that mean for me? Well, he says in chapter 6, let's, let's look at that. Turn to Romans 6 and we'll see what he says. In Romans chapter 6, in verse 12, Paul says what, what that means for us. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members. By members, he means your body parts, right? Don't don't present your body parts to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members, your body parts to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. See what he's saying here? Now that I have been joined to Christ, my body has a new assignment. My body is no longer a slave to sin. My body is no longer here to serve and and just as I just kind of present my body to sin and say, here, have at it. Do whatever you want. Use me however you will. Those days are gone because of what Christ has done. Now, because of Christ, I present myself to the Lord and say, I'm all yours. Take my body and use it however you will. Take my mind, Lord. Use my mind, my thoughts, and so on. You have full reign over my brain. 
Use it however you want. You have full reign over my hormones and over my emotions and my desires and so on. Lord, shape them so that I am longing for the things that will glorify you, not longing for the things that would disrespect you and, 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 and uh, rebel against you and so on. No, Lord, take my hands. Help me to serve as you have served me through Christ. Lord, take my feet. Help me to go, Lord, wherever you want me to go. Lord, take control over my diet. Take control over my eyes and all the things that I watch and so on. Lord, take control over my ears. Take control over this mouth of mine that just, that just pops off every five seconds. Lord, would you take it and cultivate it so that I say things that are fruitful and edifying and loving and so on and not hateful and wanting to tear people down. Lord, my body is yours. Have it all. Take it all. Use it all for your glory. Amen? And so that's what Paul is saying here. He says that it is a, a physical thing. We worship the Lord physically, but notice we also worship sacrificially. He says to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We, we give our lives to him, and we lay them down for him. In other words, I'm not living for my own pleasure. I'm not living for my own praise. I'm not living for, you know, for my own protection or anything like that anymore. I'm living now for him. And if that means that I have to lay it down, then that means I've got to lay it down. Using the language of sacrifice, uh, it, it, it conveys the idea of the Old Testament system. Um, what's really interesting in terms of the differences between the Old Testament system and, and what we see here in the New Testament is that in the Old Testament, you had multiple sacrifices. So the people in worship of God, they could not even approach God except on the death of an animal. Why? Well, because they're sinners and the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And so in order for me to come into the presence of God as a sinner, something, somebody has to pay the price. Either I die or something has to die in my place in order for me to come into the presence of God. But here's the amazing thing. Christ is, as Hebrews would teach us, the once for all sacrifice. There's no other sacrifice now because of what Jesus has done for us. What does that mean? Well, that means now that because of what he has done, I don't have to offer any type of animal sacrifice or anything in order to approach him. The once-for-all sacrifice has already been slaughtered, the lamb who was slain named Jesus, and because of his death on the cross, I now have free access to the Lord. But in terms of my regular worship to God, my regular worship, we do still offer sacrifices to him that those sacrifices are no longer an animal. Those sacrifices are ourselves. I say, Lord, I now climb onto the altar and I lay my life down for you. I think of this as Paul's adaptation, if you will, of our Lord's command in the Gospels when he says, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross, Luke would say in Luke 9, take up his cross daily and follow me. Paul would say, let him deny himself, 
take up the altar, lay down on the altar, and follow Jesus. There is no following Jesus without sacrifice. It doesn't exist. I know. Some of us were taught when we were hearing the gospel for the first time, you were taught that if you uh, trust in Jesus, you will have a wonderful, uh, uh, wild and free and adventurous, you know, uh, uh, life where, you know, you will trust in him and all your sorrows will go away. All the cares of this world will, will be over if you just trust in Jesus. That's what I heard. When people would tell me, you're going to have an abundant life if you just trust in Jesus. And, and I wish that they had told me up front, in order for you to have that abundant life, you're going to have to die regularly. You're going to have to suffer. Trusting in Jesus means that people are going to revalue. you. Trusting in Jesus means that you are going to suffer pain. Trusting in Jesus is not going to keep you from cancer. Trusting in Jesus is not going to keep you from persecution. You may wind up going to an unreached people group where it is illegal to worship Jesus and you're going to go over there and they're going to find you and they're going to torture you and they're going to throw you in prison and they're probably ultimately going to execute you. And that is the abundant life. That is the life that we're talking about. Why? Because it's in those sufferings. It's in my laying down of my life. However drastic it may be, however small it may be, the little sacrifices all the way to the ultimate sacrifice of my very life and breath, all sacrifices are my way of displaying with my life in my body just how much he's worth to me. Are you putting yourself on the altar and saying, Lord, take it all. It's all yours. What's really interesting is he says here that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Singular. Not as living sacrifices. Plural. Again, why does Paul talk this way? I think he talks this way because he's helping you to understand what this life is. This living sacrifice that we offer with our bodies is a collective sacrifice. We together join in offering ourselves to the Lord and say, God, here is our life. Here are our lives. Here are our bodies. We give them now to you. The way you love one another, the way you serve one another, which is where Paul's going with this in chapter 12. The way that we love one another and the way that we serve one another is the way we sacrifice ourselves together and that act together of laying our lives down for one another is an offering that we give to the Lord where he says, where we say to him, Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy. So how are we doing? Are we presenting our bodies as, uh, uh, for his worship? Are we giving our bodies to him physically? Are we giving him our bodies sacrificially? Are we giving him our bodies collectively? And even as he says lastly, he says in verse 1, it is your spiritual worship. The word there for spiritual is the word logikon. And I think that we should probably keep it where, where it sounds. So you hear logikon. Uh, does it sound like anything to you? Do you hear a word in logicon? Yeah, 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 you hear that word logic. There's a reason for that. That's where we got it, okay? So uh, logicon, I think, has the idea of 
rational, or as the old King James would say, your reasonable service. It's this idea of your mind. It's also where he goes in verse 2 as well. The idea is this is the only logical way for us to live our lives. Having received mercy like this from our Lord, the only logical response is to say, God, take everything. You have it all. It's all yours. Lord, I hold nothing back. No compartments or anything to this TV dinner of my life, Lord. You get all of it. But in order for us to do that, we've got to taste this mercy. And we've got to absorb it. And we've got to, we've got to let it dig deep into us to the point that we realize that every second and every moment of our lives is a gift of mercy from our great God and our Savior. So if you know this, then that means that we've got to change the way we think, which is exactly where he goes in verse 2. Not only do we present our bodies for God's worship, but we pattern our lives for God's will. Look at verse 2. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay, so, so hold on. You notice the, the don't do this, do this here. So verse 2, the beginning, do not be conformed to this world. This word behind uh, conformed to this world has the idea of, of being fit into the mold or being fit into a, a, a particular schematic. And in fact, that's actually where we get our word schematic from. We get it from the word behind, the, the Greek word behind this word conformed. The, there's this, this world or this age, this, this, uh, this world system, the culture, you could say, that, that, that wants to fit you into its mold. We feel this every day, don't we? I, I'm always mindful of the things that I say in public. Why? Because at any moment, I could be offending somebody, right? You, you say, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. How are you? Did I use the right pronoun? Oh, my goodness. Did I use the right? I, I don't know. Was, is you okay? Does you work? Can I call you you? How, can I not call you? You know, and all that. What happens? Well, we're living in a world where everything is, 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 is up in the air, and, and, and you have a culture that's saying, we want you to function in this way. We want you to talk in this way. We want you to act in this way. We want you to think in this way. We want you to love these things. We want you to hate those things. That's the world age that we live in. That's the system of this world. And Paul says, don't Get squeezed into the schematics of this world. Don't let the world fit you into their mold to pop you out that you would be just another cookie-cutter world, uh, worldly person. He says that's not how we're supposed to live our lives. I, I love watching um, the, the kids whenever they make little jello stars or, or anything like that, and they take the, the gelatin, they put it in the bowl, they pour in the water, they mix it up and all that, and then it solidifies. And then what do they do? They, they take the circle, they take the star, they take all of that, and they, they pop it all over the little jello, and it comes out, you know, hey, look, it's a little, you know, floppy star, right? A little jiggly star here, you know? Here's my little jello thing, here's my little jello heart, you know, and all that. It, they squeezed it into the mold, and it comes out taking the shape of the mold. And he says, that's not the way that we are to live in this world. Every day, we're in the world. Every day, we're listening to podcasts. Every day, we're watching TV. Every day, we're hearing the news. Every day, we're having conversation. Every day, we're living in this world. And he says, live in the world in such a way that you are not uh, 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 duped into fitting into the mold or the shape of this world. You aren't of this world. 
Rather, he says, you are to be transformed. The word behind transformed is where we get our word metamorphosis from. I love it. You take a little caterpillar, right? A little fuzzy caterpillar walking on the branch, eating all your, all your leaves and all your, all your veggies and so on, and uh, just chomping away, right? And then, he, and then he gets fatter and fatter and fatter, you know? And then, he, and then he gets to a point where he just can't move anymore, so what does he do? He starts putting together his little cocoon, and he starts weaving that together. And then he, he sits in there for a little bit. He just takes up residence, doesn't even pay rent, and he just, and he just you know, sits there for a little bit, and you're going, okay, wh- what's going on here? Y'all know what's going on. After a little bit, that cocoon opens up, and what comes out? A butterfly, beautiful butterfly in the sky. You know, and it just and it just kind of goes out and everything. And it's wonderful. What it was when it went into the cocoon is still what it is coming out, but it looks so much different. The caterpillar is now a butterfly. It has gone through a metamorphosis. You used to be just like the world. You used to fit in the mold. You used to have no problem with it, right? You may have been the life of the party. You may have been, you know, the, the, the one, you know, where, uh, uh, you know, you got this guy over here and he's cussing you out and all that. And you could out cuss anybody, right? The, you, you knew how to, how to do it. I mean, you had the whole dictionary. <laughs> and and you, were just, you would just go up one side and down the other and everything. That's how it was. You used to be that, that, that person that would just full of rage and full of anger, and, 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 and you could just lash out on anybody, and you wouldn't dare take a drink because you knew what would happen if you were just a little bit inebriated. You would just go in a tirade and rage all over everybody, and the whole family knew that. That's who you are, who you were before you came to Christ. You fit the mold really, really well, but that's not who you are anymore. Christ has done something in you, or better yet, Christ is doing something in you. So as that was who you were before, being conformed into this age, now you are being transformed. And notice where ground zero is for that transformation. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it is again. There it is again. I change the way I think. I am being changed because my mind is being transformed. My mind is being renewed. Now that I have the reality of the gospel on my mind, I'm starting to think gospelly, right? I'm starting to think with the mind of the gospel. I'm starting to see things through the lens of the gospel. This person that I used to hate, I just don't hate anymore because God has loved me and poured out his forgiveness on me rather than his wrath. And now all of a sudden that has so shaped me and has such an impact on me that I want to be a lover and a forgiver too. You see what's happening? Now all of a sudden I don't hate this person. My heart breaks for this person. And I want this person to know the love and the forgiveness of Christ too. And so I want to be a conduit for change instead of a conduit of hate. Now, all of a sudden, I'm being more patient with people because Lord knows the Lord has been quite patient with me. And I'm very much aware of my sins and very much aware of my shortcomings. But because of what God has done in me, showing kindness when he should have popped me upside my head, he instead came and said, I love you, and I'm going to take time with you, and we're going to walk through this together. Now that has shaped me to be a person of patience with my children and with other people as well. It's a work in progress. 
Let's pray for your brother. But, but, but it, you know, I'm, I'm becoming that person. That's grace. That's, the, that's me thinking with the mind of Christ. You see, I'm being renewed. Now, instead of looking at my resources and saying, oh, my goodness, I got paid today. Oh, you know what I'm doing? I'm going and I'm, I'm wasting it on everything. I'm going to go to Best Buy. I'm going to get all of the things now because I got my, my fresh check. Now, no, now I realize that he who was rich became poor, 2 Corinthians, so that we could be rich in him. So now all of a sudden I have this heart of generosity that says I want to give to meet the needs of other people with this extra money that I've got in my pocket. I want to make sure that people who are struggling aren't struggling anymore. And if I can do something to help out, then let me help out. Why? Because I've got a new mindset. You see what's happening? I'm thinking differently. My mind and therefore my life and my affections are now being shaped and molded and transformed to be gospel-minded and gospel-focused. That's how God wants all of us to be. That's all of us. The rocks are crying out right now. That's great. I love it. Um, That's how all of us should be. Question, Are you submitting yourself to the transforming work of the gospel in your life? Are you patterning your life and even patterning your mind after what God has already given to us in the gospel? Are you marked by Christ, by his rule and his authority? Or are you still trying to fit the mold? the mold that God so mercifully rescued us from. Notice he says, if we do so, if we are being transformed, he says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. Now, note what happens. When we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds, we are able to test God's will. Now, that's a weird word. And here, that that phrase... By testing, you may discern. It's actually just one word in the Greek. But it's a difficult word to translate. Okay? What, what, what does it mean? Well, think of it like this. Think of it like this. If you were to go onto Amazon and you were looking for, let's just say you were looking for a new set of headphones. You get a, you, you're looking for a new set of headphones and you see these headphones and you see, you know, all the things because for whatever reason, the, 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 the titles that they give these things on Amazon are getting longer and longer and longer, right? They're like, you know, super duper noise canceling, you know, you, you can hear you, you know, your neighbor's thoughts, you know, uh, head, headphones and all of this. And, you know, uh, 48 month batter, month-long battery life and, and just all, all this, I mean, just so over the top exaggerating on these things. And so you go, okay, all right, whatever, whatever. What do you do? You go look at the customer reviews. You look at the customer reviews and you go, okay, talk to me. You know, what, what is it like? And, you know, there's always one that's like, this is pure trash. I don't even understand why it's this, you know, right? <laughs> one star, you know. And, and so you go, okay, you know, that's my baseline. So let's see if there are other people that are saying the same thing. You know, one person's like, I only got one headphone. I don't even understand. You know, and and you're just like, come on now, is it really that bad? And you're looking for reviews, and you're comparing, and you're contrasting, and all of that, and 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 you're working with it, but you you know how this is, right? You won't know for sure until you buy them for yourselves, right? 
And then once you buy them for yourselves and you actually take those headphones and you stick them in your ears and you listen to them for yourselves, now I'm able to say for sure what kind of headphones these are. So then you're the one now putting, you know, giving your review on Amazon. And you say, you know, I don't know what that one-star review was like. First off, I got both headphones. And, uh, <laughs> and, and they're actually great. You know, I, I really do enjoy them. What's happened? You are now able to, having used the headphones, you are able to attest to the goodness or the badness of those headphones. That's what that phrase means. By testing, you may prove. That's what he's saying. He's saying, when you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you are actually beginning to experience the will of God in your life. You are submitting yourself to the working of God in your life, the application of the gospel and the gospel's work into your life. And as you go through day by day by day by day of thinking with a gospel mind and living with a gospel lifestyle and loving as Christ has loved you and and all of that, now you are able to get to a point where you can say for yourself that the will of God is, as it says here, good and acceptable and perfect. It's good. I, I, I know for sure that the will of God is good. I, I know how God has saved me from stupid mistakes where I could have said something that could have torpedoed that relationship. But I, I, at that moment said, you know what, what would Jesus say in this situation? And I walked with kindness, and I spoke with patience and gentleness and so on, and I was able to salvage a relationship that could have gone south. By God's grace, that relationship is still healthy because I thought with a gospel mindset. That is the goodness of God's will. I realized even the acceptableness or the pleasing nature of God's will. I realize now that being with my bride and living with her for 18 years and tending to her soul and loving her as she has loved me and even more so as Christ has loved the two of us, I realize now after 18 years that it actually has some benefits to it, right? You know, that she isn't, you know, going around, you know, uh, grumpy, and she's not going around frumpy, and she isn't going around, you know, all upset at me and everything and slamming doors and all of that, but, but she actually loves being loved. And when she loves being loved and I'm able to pour out that love, I'm finding my joy in her joy. And all of a sudden, there's this reciprocal nature where we're serving one another and caring for one another. And I'm realizing I like that so much more than being a jerk. (laughs) That is the pleasing nature of the will of God. It actually is good. It actually is pleasing and acceptable. And it's perfect. I'm noticing that as I submit myself to the will of God, I'm becoming a better person because of it. The Lord is cultivating me. He's reforming me and refining me. I'm finding myself loving things that I didn't love 20 years ago, that now all of a sudden I care deeply about. Why? Because the Lord's working on me, and he's shaping me, and he's, he's doing that. You may be able to say the same thing, where you say, where I was before and where I am now are po- I mean, you, they're unrecognizable. 
you would not know that I'm the same person. Why? Because God is shaping me and refining me, and he's bringing me to a place of wholeness and completion, which is the ultimate day when I stand before him, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, not because of anything in me, but because of his work in me, refining me and cultivating me and conforming me into the image of his son. That's what this is all about. You know, I've said, I, I know I've mentioned this song before, but I'm going to mention it again because it's one of my favorite songs. It's an old C.C. Winans song. It's actually not old. It's a couple years old. Um, but for, for, for young folks, that's like 20 years old. Um, but this is this, this, uh, this probably about five years or so ago where she has a song called He's Never Failed Me Yet. I know I've, I've mentioned this song before, but I love this song because I love what she does in this song. She talks at the beginning about being a little girl and as a little girl, she talks about how the, the grown folks in the church would just say, in this old black church, he's never failed me yet. He's never failed me yet. And she, as a little girl, would just be sitting here listening to them going, why do they keep saying that? Like, they keep saying the same thing every Sunday. He's never failed me yet. And she's just like, you know, can't you all think of something else to say? You know, any, anything, you know. And so as she goes through the song, she starts talking about the experiences that she's had as she's grown up. And as she's grown up, God has put her in situations where she started to wonder if the Lord truly was faithful and if the Lord truly was good and if the Lord truly had what's best for her and all of that. And time after time after time after time again, she has been able to see his, himself come through. She's able to see his faithfulness in her life, see his hand on her life and, and walking her through trials and suffering and all that so that now she's saying what the old folks used to say he's never failed me yet and we get to the end of the song where now she's the um not quite as young as she used to be uh, uh, <laughs> woman and as she's there she says now the song I heard is now mine oh mine he's never failed me yet and every time I hear that song, I tear up and everything because I just stop and think about how God in his mercy has sustained me from the time when I was just a little boy and I didn't know what was going to happen with my life and I was wandering aimlessly and everything and I saw this God come to me in the person and work of his son Jesus and how he saved me and loved me and brought me into his family and said, I am yours and you are mine and I've noticed as I've walked through how he sustained me through trials and tribulations. We were just talking the other day after taking Naomi to the, uh, hospital, uh, to the doctor's office for a little checkup. We were just recounting the time when we were in Baltimore and she had gotten some crazy illness that we didn't even know what was going on. And the doctors at the doctor's office, when Annie was telling the doctors about that, they said, typically, we don't find out what was wrong with them when they have this until after they've died. And I stopped and think, thought about the fact that my God sustained my little girl when we had no idea what was going on. All we knew were her lips were blue and she was having trouble breathing and all of that. And we brought her to the hospital there in Baltimore and they took care of her and they sustained her. And now my little girl is still here running all around the place like a mad woman and everything. And we go, every step that she makes and every laughter that we hear from her is the faithfulness of God. 
and the mercy of God on our lives. And I think about time after time wondering, how are we going to make it through this? How are we going to make it through that? How am I going to overcome this sin? How am I going to deal with this shortcoming? How am I going to do all this? And time after time after time, I have seen Romans 12 too, that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. He has never failed me yet. And let me tell you something, he will never fail you. God is good, and his mercies endure forever. And he will sustain you, and he will keep you through the hardest of situations and the hardest of trials. He is exactly who he says he is. And if that is the case, if he has given us mercy and will continue to give us mercy all the way to the end, then let's not block off anything from him. Everything is on the table. Lord, you have it all. Present your bodies for God's worship. Pattern your lives for God's will. And watch what God will do in your life. I did not say you wouldn't suffer. But what I did say is you will see him work in ways that you never could imagine. And all you can say at the end is to God be the glory for all the mercies that he has given us in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So, Lord, by your grace, work in our lives. Astonish us with your mercy. Help us, Lord, in the weeks to come, as Paul puts flesh on this, and he specifies for us what this life looks like. Lord, I pray that we would not um, that we would not dig in our heels. Or as you said to Paul, that we would not kick against the goads. But Father, I pray that we would see your will as good and pleasing and perfect. May we taste it for ourselves. May we be able to say, yes, it is good to follow you. Lord, perhaps there are some who are here today that have not presented their bodies for your worship. Perhaps there are some today who have not patterned their lives after your will. Lord, I pray even now, we would get up on the altar and we would say, take my life. Let it be consecrated, Lord, for you. And we give it all to you. How could we leave anything behind having received such mercy? May all our life be worshipped to you. now. Go to the Lord in prayer. Maybe you are here today and you have never trusted in Christ as your Savior. You've never known what he is able to do. He's able to transform your life. He's able to change you. You actually can change 
trust in him. Submit to his hand. Let him lead you. Let him change you. Don't leave anything behind. Give him everything. You'll be amazed what our God can do. Trust in the death and the resurrection of Christ. here today and you have trusted in him but maybe you've marked off some areas in your life and you said I just I, I can't let go of this right now I, I just I can't, I, can't, I can't go there right now he wants to go there with you you will never experience the joy that you're aiming for by marking off things from him it's only when you lose your life that you will find it, Jesus. It's only when you lay it all before him, he will give you the joy that you long for. Because that deepest joy that you long for is only in him. Lay it all down. Our God has spoken. Let's go before him now. Let's give him our